0: Good morning, really glad you're here this morning, and um, I don't know if you've glanced at your listening guide and the message title, but what a title, huh? That's, that's an interesting, interesting topic. I didn't anticipate talking about this in seminary when I was in graduate school getting ready for the ministry, but here I am. Uh You probably have very, we have varying, I know in this room there are varying levels of comfort in terms of the topic of sex. Um, I know for me, we didn't talk about it a lot in my home bring, uh, growing up. In fact, my brother pulled me aside right before my wedding and said, you know, I know Dad hadn't said much about this to you. but <laughs> So here's some thoughts. <laughs> I, I, I really appreciated that. That that was helpful. <laughs> he kind of he's an older brother, about 15 years older, and he looked out for me. I appreciate that. Um, we are taking three weeks to look at uh, three things in our life: money, sex, and power. That can be incredibly explosive if if we're not careful. They are incredibly good things if they're handled in the right way but they can really blow up on you. So we're we're looking at them in the context of playing with fire because uh, if we're not careful, then we spark a flame that creates an explosion that causes some real damage in our lives. So that's what we're doing last week. We looked at money. And we looked at how uh, if we get selfish in handling our money and handle it in the wrong order, uh it creates real barriers between ourselves and our family and friends. We get stingy. That creates a wall. Uh, We dig a crater of debt because we're just buying stuff we can't really afford, uh, among other things. Those are some of the explosions that happen. Today we're talking about sex and romance. How stifling is it to talk about taking precautions in this area on Valentine's weekend? I mean, come on. This This is a real bummer. I mean, I guess I'm a hopeless romantic. I mentioned last week, I think, that I broke both arms going into kindergarten, but I didn't tell you how. I I was up in a tree. I, I did tell you I was in a tree, fell out of a tree, broke both arms. But I was throwing, I was five years old, throwing green apricots at my girlfriend. Now, is that romantic or what? I mean, that's, what can I say? Hopeless romantic. Um, sex and romance. The reason we're talking about this today is because they carry the promise of deep fulfillment. But also, if we aren't careful, bring deep regret. So we're going to look at what Scripture has to say about this, and we're going to dig into a story from the Old Testament. Genesis 29, that's where you can find it. It's a story of Jacob and Leah. The, the, The history of the Old Testament... What was written in the scriptures is written for our instruction, and if we endure and we find encouragement there, there's a tremendous amount of hope. So in this story of Jacob and Leah, there's a tremendous amount of instruction and a tremendous amount of hope as well. So we're going to dig into their story. It's, it's a story really that if you understand what's going on between the lines of the story, you find out that Jacob and Leah had the normal approach to sex and romance and the way they went, went after uh, the uh, relationship between themselves. Jacob was a twin. Let me give you a little background about Jacob. He was a twin. Uh, he was the younger of the twins, but he, when they were born, he, he came out holding the heel of his brother. So he was named Jacob, which means supplanter or conniver. Or trickster, or, or whatever. That was, that was what his name meant. And he grew up, uh, sort of in the shadow of his, his brother Esau. His older brother was loved by his father. He was a hunter. He was like a man's man. And, and Jacob never really had the approval of his father. So since Esau was his favorite, Jacob grew up, uh, cynical and bitter. He was really struggling there. And he was also a conniver, just like his name says. He, he actually tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright, which is a good portion of his inheritance. He tricked him out of it. This is, this is the way Jacob was. And you can see in his conniving that he was really trying to find, he was trying to prove his worth. Because a guy really wants approval from his dad. He, he really wants his dad to think that he is uh, all of that. He wants his respect and his admiration. And Jacob didn't get it. He grew up in the shadow of Esau. He struggled with that. Now, I want to fast forward, uh, keeping in mind that Jacob lived his life to prove his worth at all costs. Now, let's fast forward to his search for a wife. His dad sent him back to his homeland to find a wife. It's kind of the way things were done these days. And if you and I were Hebrew scholars, we would read Genesis 29 and see many signals in the text that show how enamored Jacob was with a woman named Rachel. Now, I said I'm talking about Jacob and Leah. Uh, Rachel is Leah's sister. And... Jacob went back to the homeland, he runs into, who was his cousin, Rachel, and he is, he's flipped. I mean, modern translation, what a babe, I have to have her. I mean, this, I, this is, wow, okay. And so, if we understood Hebrew completely, and you can see it in the story if you read it in English, uh, we could see that all the longings of his heart for meaning, and affirmation were wrapped up in this woman. He he saw this. If he, if, he could, if he could just get Rachel to be his wife, he would have a trophy to show off his worth. That That was what he was thinking. This is what's going on in the story. People in that day didn't marry for love. Sort of like a business arrangement. But Jacob's modern in this way. He wanted to marry Rachel because he... Was stricken. And he loved her. And so he went to his uncle Laban. She was his cousin, Rachel's father, and he made an arrangement to marry Laban's daughter Rachel. and Look at what scripture says. Genesis 29, 6, 16 through 19. Now Laban, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. We're not quite sure. I don't think that was a reference to her eyesight, but to think of it as maybe her eyes were either there was a problem, they were cross-eyed, or she was unsightly. There's something being communicated about her looks in the Hebrew there that it was originally written in. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. All right. Okay. Better for you to have Rachel than some other guy. So that's a deal. That's how things were done. The next seven years, the scripture says, seemed like a few days because of the love Jacob had for Rachel. So they fly by. He's thinking, what a small price to pay for the woman who would... Heal all the wounds of my upbringing. I mean, this this is going to be it. All My life's going to come together once I am able to marry Rachel. Um, Laban, his uncle, saw how lovesick Jacob was for Rachel, and he took advantage of him. When Jacob asked Laban to marry Rachel, Jacob heard him say yes. But what, what did he actually say? You could see it in the last part of that passage right there. It's better that you get her than some other man. In the middle of the wedding celebration after the seven years were up, Jacob got drunk. When Laban brought his wife to him, she was heavily veiled. He went went to bed with her. He consummated the marriage by having sex with her. And when he woke up in the morning, he found out it was Leah in the bed, not Rachel. He's furious. He's furious. He goes to his uncle Laban and he's, you know, trying to find out, what, what are you doing to me? What in the world are you trying to pull here? And when he complained to Laban, Laban said, you know, you should have known the way things work in our culture. The older has to be married first and then the younger. So he was, he he, he tricked him for sure, but it was in line with the way the culture flowed. And so... After that conversation, uh, within a week after the first wedding, uh, Laban gave Rachel to be Jacob's second wife. So he worked seven more years then for Rachel. That was the deal. That's how in love with Rachel he was. Jacob is a reminder to us of the dangers involved in pursuing sex and romance. When we think sex and romance is the medicine to heal our hurts, we overlook all kinds of important things. We, we make foolish, destructive choices when we want someone right now. Very, very painful. This is why the conniver Jacob, you know, it takes a trickster to know a trickster. He should have you know, paid more attention to what, uh, Laban actually said, well, it's better that you get her than I do. He didn't say, yes, you can marry her. He had his plan in mind, so he carefully chose his words. But it was that desire to have his wounds healed by this woman that made him vulnerable to the deception. And that's what happens to us as well, if we're not careful. If we get caught up in things, the emotion and all that's going on around it. If we don't approach dating, romance, and sex with the right precautions, then we can implode and create all kinds of havoc uh, as we make very foolish decisions. Now, I'd like to look at how all of this impacted Leah. Because I have to confess, when I I read the story, I, I grew up in church, I've heard the story, I've read the story several times, I always think, Jacob and Rachel, why is that? Because he was in love with Rachel. And that's very modern. He, he, he wanted her. He worked for her. He got tricked. And that, I always think of them too, but let's think about Leah now. Let's look at what was going on in her as she had to deal with what had just happened. Uh, she was deeply wounded in this whole process. Genesis 29.30 says, So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. One, one author said that, that Leah, in this whole scenario, became the woman that nobody wanted. And you, you can see this in the way she responds to her husband, and in the way she um, Actually, in the naming of her children. Uh, you go on and you read the story, and you realize in, in the process of all of this, she set her heart's hope on getting Jacob's love. Her, her hope was set on getting him to love her. And every day, she would see the man that she loved in love with another woman not only another woman but the woman who in whose shadow she had lived her entire life every day was like another knife in the heart as she saw this play out if we don't place our hope in god who's the only one who can meet our deepest needs then we we're empty we are Not even the best person in the world can give your soul all its need, all it needs. No one can, only God. Only God can arrange that your deepest needs are met. Eventually, though, Leah had a major breakthrough, and I, I want to look at how we see this in the passage. <clears throat> she shows us the way, really. For a time, Rachel was barren, but out of his kindness, God gave children to Leah. This is very important in this culture to have children, especially sons. And she had four sons. She may have had more children, but these are what's the ones that are mentioned in the text. And uh, you see in the naming of her sons what was going on in her heart. It's, it's interesting. For a time... Um, you, you can track over this time what was going on. Look at Genesis 29:32. and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, "Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for my husband will surely love me now. For now, my husband will love me. So I have this son, he's going to love this, he's going to love the son, he's going to be excited about this, and now, for sure, he's going to love me." When her second and third sons were born, you can still see her pain. So time moves on, she's still in pain, she's dealing with it, she's struggling through it. When son number two, Simeon, was born, Leah said, I am not loved, so the Lord gave me this son. When son number number three, Levi, was born, she said, perhaps now my husband will become attached to me (laughs) over the rival. You you can see what's going on in her heart. But finally, when son number four comes, Judah, there's a shift. This time, I will praise the Lord. Interesting. You You can see it played out right before our eyes here. She shifted her deepest hope from her husband and children to the Lord, to the God who made her. If we don't keep our longing for sex and romance in check, we are in a vulnerable place. If you're married and you're expecting your husband or your wife to meet your deepest need, and they don't, which they won't, there's no one that can do that, then you might look for someone else. You either live out your days kind of miserable, or you look for someone else to meet that need and... Either way, you come up empty. You're empty. It's not. There's no, nobody that can fill your tank like that. If you're single and you've decided that your life will never find fulfillment without a mate, you'll find they aren't the drug you need. They are not. Married or single, shift your hope to God. Leah shows us the way. When when we're struggling, when we're in pain, when we want someone to meet our deepest need, we can shift our hope to the living God who will do just that. He will meet our deepest need. He is the one that can fill the empty place in our heart, in our soul. And he's the one that can guide us as we walk through life. In the scriptures, we discover that God designed sex to be a precious and guarded gift. Now, sex is something that is not just a physical act. I don't care what is going around in our culture. It goes to our soul. And, and you can see this. And this is why God says what he does about sex. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. When the scriptures mention the marriage bed, it's not talking about a sleep number. But it's talking about sex. It's it's interesting that honoring marriage is linked directly to sex, isn't it? The marriage bed. Honoring marriage means you guard the rightful place of sex between husband and wife. God invented sex. He invented it to add delight to life. A whole book of the Bible, which I mentioned. Off the cuff last week, Song of Solomon was written about romantic love, sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. This, this is an important thing to God. He designed, He, He came up with the idea to add delight to, to our lives. When, when sex though is taken outside of marriage, the delight of the gift is gone. Or, if it's not gone immediately, the thrill is gone over time. That's for sure. I like how the message paraphrase says this. It says it, it, the way it translates the, the same passage or the paraphrase of this passage. Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. We, we didn't discover sex, people didn't, human beings did not, like a scientist would discover a new formula. God invented it. And since he invented it, he has a patent on it, <laughs> the best way to take part in it. When we mess with his design, we reap the consequences. Now why is that? When you go against God's design and his best, we're like a child playing with a burning flame. It looks intriguing. We're drawn into it, and then poof, we get burned, and it hurts. We get burned when we take sex outside of marriage and try to enjoy this gift with anyone else beside our husband or wife, beside our spouse. This happens in three main ways. There are three main ways that we get burnt sexually sexually. And the first one is pornography, a virtual shortcut that short-circuits God's plan for sex. Pornography is more than just fantasy. Research shows that it impacts our brain, emotions, and reasoning, just like someone on drugs. It also impacts relationships and has impacted marriage directly. There's some research that's been done, and... um, The proportion of men today between 25 and 34 who have never walked down the aisle is six times higher. Why why do you need a real woman when you can have a virtual one? That's that's what's going on. With pornography rampant, this creates a problem in uh, moving toward God's plan and living it out in life. That's, That's the bigger issue is... Living life the way God intended it is his best, and this creates a problem. The problem with pornography, particularly with men, is that it, it, is, uh, it goes to the core of who you are and uh, degrades you in terms of your own self-respect. It's a dead end to finding what a person really needs. And what only God can give. So that's the first way we get burnt. Second way is sexual immorality. Refusing to wait for God to provide a husband and wife. In sexual relations, there's a deep connection that goes beyond the physical. In sex, you're giving someone a part of yourself that you will not get back. In, in scripture, you see a direct link between sex and your soul. It's you may have heard this at a wedding, but it says man will leave his father, and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That passage is referred to by Paul That that it pops up whenever marriage is mentioned in Scripture. And then it's referred to by Paul when he talks about seeing a prostitute. You're joined. You are united to the prostitute. And the words that are used in the original language here is similar to glue. So you're joined to this person that you have sex with in a way that you give them something. You know, like you put tape on your mouth and your lip. you leave a little piece of your lips on the tape. That hurts. That really hurts. That's what's happening with sex, is you're giving yourself to this person. You're giving them a piece of your soul that you will not get back. This is why God wants us to keep this inside the confines of marriage. Because it's meant to be enjoyed in the context of a a permanent relationship. You can leave, actually, you can leave pieces of yourself scattered all over the place. And, And like a puzzle, you need to be put back together. That's what happens. Nothing wounds quite like sexual violations. Nothing does. Because sex is linked to our soul, it's linked to who we are. It's not merely a physical thing. The body is not meant, scripture says, for sexual immorality. We are, we are more than just a bundle of body parts or nerve endings or instincts. There's an old quote, it's sometimes attributed to G.K. Chesterton. It says, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is really looking for God. He's really looking for that which can take away his aloneness. People get promiscuous sexually because they think it will take away their aloneness. In other words, we, we know it's more than physical. We, we know this when we stop to think about it and let it sink in. God says our body wasn't met. For sexual immorality, outside of the boundaries God intends, sex leaves us empty in those, con- outside of the confines of marriage, outside of where He intends us to enjoy it. The last main way that we get burned sexually is adultery, defiling the marriage covenant and the marriage bed. Going back to that verse in Hebrews, we're commanded to honor marriage. If, if you're not married, the way you honor marriage is to take God seriously and wait to enjoy sex inside of marriage. If you're married, married, you honor marriage, the marriage bed, by living out the commitment to love each other the rest of your days, and you don't look for love and sex anywhere else. That's the way you honor it. Here's a creative video that sort of captures uh, what I'm talking about and what has happened to us in our culture in terms of sex and actually it's going way it goes way back to the beginning what's going on with sex in our culture it 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 started way back when but anyway this this video gives us uh, a picture of that and some hope that we can find in in scripture and,
1: and as God leads us sex throughout the Bible it's proclaimed as a good thing A profound expression of love that forges a unique and powerful bond between a man and a woman. But along the way, something went seriously wrong. When humanity left their perfect and life-giving relationship with God, sin entered the scene and infected everything. Sin caused people to become disconnected from God, from each other, and from themselves. Sex, the ultimate connection between men and women, couldn't hide for long sin grabbed hold of sex and transformed it into something completely unrecognizable. This new form of sex had nothing to do with respect or commitment and everything to do with lust and control. It was no longer about two people becoming one. Sex became about the desires of the individual, a way for people to get what they want from one another. To put it plainly, sex became a transaction. And so sex strayed further and further away from God's original plan. Fast forward to today. And sex is everywhere. People are obsessed with it. Sex, which used to be a good thing, became an ultimate thing. Something that validates one's very existence and the reason for living. And with its new and elevated status came many promises. Promises it couldn't deliver, leaving an entire society feeling empty and disillusioned. But like any addiction, the answer is always more. More relationships, more romance, and of course, more sex. And it's in this endless search that we find ourselves. Sex is clearly broken, but it isn't the real problem. It's simply the crack on the surface. The real problem of sin goes much deeper, and its consequences are far more devastating. Here's the good news, though. There's still hope God can redeem you and your sexuality. Sex can be a good thing again.
0: I think that's a pretty good creative way to wrap up what's going on in our world. And before I wrap up today's message, it can become easy to get discouraged and defeated when we think about a topic like this, when we think about what's going on in us and in our world. But I want to say, as we wrap up, that you are never beyond the grace of God. You, you never are. It's never too late to start over. It's never too late to allow him to put the pieces back together. You, you may have a lot of scars, and you feel like you're beyond hope. But when you look to God, he is more than able to help and heal you. And the scars can become a reminder of the grace of God um, and the healing that only he can bring. Uh, I'd like to tell you the rest of the story. Leah turned to God, as we saw in the birth of her sons, and he blessed her tremendously. He would choose one couple from each generation, and then through that couple the coming Savior of the world would be born. They would be in the line of that Savior. So she actually became the great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandmother of Jesus, the Savior. It's fascinating, isn't it? She gave birth to Judah. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. He's called the Lion of Judah at times. It's amazing, the woman... That nobody wanted was in the line of people who brought into the world the man that nobody wanted. Isaiah says that Jesus was despised and rejected among men. He, he, here's the God of the universe steps into our world and he's rejected. That's just wrong. But he took that. He took that pain for our sake so that we could have salvation. So that's the grace of God in the story of Jacob and Leah. And it's not over there. Jacob, the conniver, he he was amazing. I mean, he went on to cheat his uncle Laban out of all kinds of cattle and sheep. And the guy was shrewd. But God never gave up on him either, because he got into a wrestling match with an angel, with, with one of God's messengers, and he came out of that wrestling match a different person, with a scar, actually. It says God touched his hip, so he walked with a limp from that day forward. But his name got changed. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And Israel means one who struggles. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. You struggle. You struggle with your selfishness. You struggle with the pain. And you, you, you struggle with wanting to do life the way you always have. But you end the struggle by humbling yourself before the living God and allowing him to change you over time. To be the person that he wants you to be. So Jacob the conniver becomes Israel who also gives birth. I mean this this is the man Israel. You know, he gave gave birth to the twelve tribes of Israel. The grace of God is all over this story. It's right there for us to see. So if you feel like you're beyond his grace, you are not. God loves you deeply. God is gracious. He, he wants you and I to know Him and to let Him show us the best way to live. If If you've been wrong and you've sought fulfillment in sex and romance that only God can give, if you've never confessed this to God, I want to encourage you, confess your sin to Him and turn away from it and begin to struggle with obedience in relation to him. This is what the Bible calls repentance. God's grace will be poured out on you. It's available to all and will bring the help and healing that we really need. So I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, to do that. As I wrap up the message today, uh, I'd like to draw your attention to the connection card. There's also a handout with some resources on it that's titled Playing with Fire resources for additional reading but as we as the band comes up and gets ready to lead us I'd like to walk through these next steps the first one is for the first time I want to give my life to Christ and follow him as Lord and Savior if you do that you'll experience his grace he he will pour his grace out on you second step could be to read one of the resources on the handout, there's a resource for everyone, the difference between men and women. Actually, in the story of Jacob and Leah, they approached sex, romance, and dating. Well, they didn't really date in those days. It's kind of like negotiating the, the marriage. They approached it from uniquely a, a man's way and a woman's way. And this this book really is helpful for uh, seeing the differences. Uh, there's a couple resources for married couples. Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to it, creating boundaries uh, between you and other folks to protect your marriage, uh, Intended for Pleasure, excellent book on sexual intimacy, and then for men, Wired for Intimacy, How porno- Pornography Hijacks the Male Brain. Uh, also, I, I'd like you to, to encourage you to just take some time, if God's spoken to you, jot down on your listening guide uh, what he said and what, whatever response you want to have to him in terms of obedience. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the truths we see in your word that that really do set us free from the sin uh, that wants to destroy our lives and from the enemy who is behind uh, the temptations and the world that is pulling us in a direction away from you, God. Thank you for what you've done in providing the help you have. And for your grace, God, we honor your holy name. We thank you for your kindness to us and the way you pour out your grace onto us constantly, daily, as we turn to you. Thank you, God, for who you are and for the love that you've shown to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.